All right, so the Rangers are rolling now, and uh, it's, it's everything's going well, and, and as planned or as hoped, as they sort of take a hold of the divisional spot to, to keep them out of the wild card spot, keep them away from the Bruins and Penguins in the first round, and uh, to join me today to talk Rangers hockey with the season sort of winding to an end, or at least the regular season, is Brian Monzo of WFAN, Mike Zahn, Francesa on the fan producer. Monzo, how's it going today? It's going good. You forgot Fox Sports 1 and 2, but okay. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Fox Sports 1, but only from, uh, what, 1 to 4, and then Fox Sports 2 from 4 to 6.30? Correct. All right. I, I still don't have the channels down. I know I watched it on there, but I, I didn't memorize the channels yet. But the last time we talked, the Rangers started to slide, and you told me really not to worry about it. You thought they'd right the ship, and they have, and they've done so in a way that we really haven't seen from the Rangers in the past, especially not in March. Um, and now it seems like, you know, with 90 points a few weeks ago, uh, I did the math. And since the lockout, it's been pretty much a 92 point average to get into the playoffs with at least an eight seed. If they can hold true to that, they'll just need one more win to get to 92 in these final uh, few games here. It seems like we're destined now for a Rangers Flyers first round series. Yeah, and I remember about two weeks ago, we were penciling some numbers and 11 and 2, 11 and 3, and you didn't think it was doable, of course. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm. You know, was very optimistic that they, they they would have a successful run here. But yeah, they they played well. They do what they, with the exception of the year, they were number one overall in the conference a couple of years ago. Now they always find a way in the last month to go have a nice little run here. Lundqvist seems to play his best and win the games they have to win. Uh, to find their way in, they're going to have a pretty good season. It looks like it will be Rangers Flyers first round. And sign me up for that. Do you think, I mean, I know the Flyers haven't won now in, I think, their last eight meetings at MSG going back to, I think, three years ago. Do you think it matters to them if they get the home ice and they have the Game 7 at home? No, because they have 25 road wins. I don't think they care. Philly's <laughs> um, a little different because, you know, it'll be, it, I mean, it'll still be a road game, but you'll have a lot more Ranger fans there than you would have at, say, Columbus. But, no, I don't think they, I, I think, obviously, every team wants home ice. It's just one of those things. But I don't think if they, you know, have to play Philly on the road out of potentially four games, that would be devastating to them. Uh, I don't know how much or how much I believe in the concept of home ice advantage, you know, except for that stupid 12th man in Seattle in the NFL. Um, <laughs> and even now I don't believe in it. It's still stupid to me. But, um, you know, the Rangers have shown throughout the season that home ice for them isn't all that great and playing on the road is a lot better, although they play better at home as a play. Uh, there are above 500 on the road on, at home, which is nice. But, I mean, look, every team wants home ice, but I don't think it's make or break, especially for the Rangers. Well, we were sort of uh, the guys driving the Marty St. Louis bandwagon wanted the trade to happen. Um, there's still people out there who believe it wasn't the right trade, which, you know, those people... Uh, there's, uh, there's one person, and we don't, <laughs> don't know what we're talking about. Well, those people seem to, you know, need to come to their senses. And, you know, it took him a while to finally get that first goal. He got it, a shorthanded goal, a nice pass from Rick Nash, an even better shot against Vancouver on Tuesday night. And, uh, you know, the MSG cameras panned to John Tortorella, who was sort of, you know, having a sarcastic, you know, look-at-my-life kind of laugh on the bench with his uh, your former cup-winning cup player scoring against him, sort of putting the nail in the coffin on his career in Vancouver. Do you think, you know, I guess we'll start with Tortorella before we move into St. Louis, but does, do you think that it's, you know, the end for him and for the GM in Vancouver after the season? Uh, I wouldn't be shocked. I think they need a whole new, uh, I think, and it's not a Tortorella. Uh, look, I'm always a Tortorella guy. I think he's a winning coach. I think you need to, one thing you have to do is wherever he goes next, he'll go somewhere, coach like the coach. Um, he needs to find a way to, to get rid of the idea that he doesn't need a special teams coach uh, because the concept of him and Mike Sullivan, while they are very good coaches, they cannot run a power play. 
and Vancouver's power play is in the you know bottom five in the league, which is unbelievable considering the Rangers' power play with those two was horrendous as well. So it just goes to show that the coaching has a lot to do with the power play. Um, but I think that team, what's amazing to me is that that team had a, a problem with goalies in which they had two great goalies in Corey Schneider and Roberto Luongo. They moved Schneider in the offseason to the Devils, and then they traded Luongo, so they went from having two goalies to no goalies. So, I mean, how much can you, and, you know, Eddie lacks the goalie now, you don't know too much about him, but, I mean, how can you really blame a coach when you have walked into a situation where you have two goalies and then you have none? It's just that's an unbelievable situation to me. I don't know what the hell the GM Gill's thinking. Uh, I think they totally have to move on from that, and I, I think the guys, the players, Kessler, sitting, you know, definitely are going to be looking for something new next year. Well, I heard a remark. I don't know if it's including this year, but uh, both Tortorella and Gillis have uh, four years, eight million dollars left, so sixteen million dollars between the two of them. It just seems like you know I understand the hockey hungry town that is Vancouver, um, and they'll do pretty much anything it takes to win, except for you know retaining their goaltenders. But uh, it just seems like maybe it would be a little much to get rid of the the duo, bring in two new people, and have to pay sixteen million out to two guys that aren't going to have anything to do with the organization anymore. Well, I'm of the belief that it's hard to fire the GM and not the coach because you would want it, you know, unless you unless you uh, promote your assistant GM. You know, you, you would want to give the GM, the new GM, the total control of running the franchise. Now, and that includes handpicking his own coach. Um, you know, there are situations where in other sports, like with uh, John Itzik and Rex Ryan, where that doesn't happen. But I would think a new GM, if they hire a new GM, say they hire Brian Burke, who's already there at one point, um, you would think he wants to bring in his own coach. So I just don't see how he can fire one without the other. And I just think the time for... Gillis out there has got to be coming to an end because it's been a lot of uh, you know close moments and a lot of near misses. And after a while, that becomes tiring, especially and, in Canada. <laughs> and with St. Louis, uh, to get back to him and him scoring that first goal, you know, even though he hasn't been producing or, or getting on the score sheet, it seems like the team you know has had a different feel to it because of of the depth now and and the the idea that the defense has to worry about him when he's on the ice, even if he's not getting on the score sheet. And he sort of has you know created more scoring depth um, by making the players around him better. And I think we saw that immediately when he came over when he's with Richards and Haglin. And I know you know the lines have switched around since then. Um, he had time with Zuccarello. He had time with Broussard. Um, he played on the line with Nash and Stepan even for a game. But it just seems like even though he hasn't been scoring, and let's hope you know this is now the beginning of a streak where he is, he's, he's made the guys around him better, and I think that's an improvement from what we got with Ryan Callahan. Uh, I think that's a very good point you made. The team opposing teams now have to play the Rangers a little differently. They have to match up guys against Rick Nash, and they have to match up guys of wherever Mark and San Luis playing. And as good as Ryan Callahan was, and I don't want to bury Callahan because he was a very good Ranger, he did a lot of good things, and he's having a nice run with Tampa. No team had to prepare for Ryan Callahan. You just took shots at him and knocked him out of the game. <laughs> um, you know, but you didn't have to prepare for Ryan Callahan's offense. Now, if St. Louis plays on the line with whomever he plays, as long as it's not Rick Nash, I don't think those two should play together. I think you should separate them. You know, teams have to, you know, put out a separate pair of defensemen for just that line. So I think that's the huge, uh, huge advantage to the Rangers, and he's immediately helped the power play. You know, I don't care if the production has been there, but the power play has a different feel for it. And players play more confidently around him. And he's done, I know this kind of sounds silly to say this, uh, but he's done a lot of good things offensively. He's made up, you know, he's, he's kind of threatened some bad luck. He kicked the puck in 
Uh, a couple games ago, it looked like a, a puck went off his skate, uh, off his stick it in, and it didn't go off him, went off the defenseman. You know, so he's played well enough that, you know, he's a plus player with the Rangers, only has, uh, I think, four points now in, in 14 or 15 games. You know, but the Rangers are winning games, that's the most important thing, and like you said, you would hope something like that, you know, kind of gets the, uh, the hump off his back and he can kind of get things going from here offensively. See, the one point I disagree with you there is I almost feel like he has to play with Rick Nash because he's the best playmaker on the team. Nash is the best scorer. It only makes sense to put him together. Yeah, no, but then if you put your two best players on the same line, I mean, it really limits what the other players are going to do. I know other lines have played well. Derek Broussard and your favorite player, uh, Benoit Poulier, have played well together. You know, but I think you can really maximize your lines by separating uh, some of your best players. As much as I hate to admit this, uh, Derek Stepan kind of had something with Rick Nash, so I think as long as you keep Stepan with Nash, he'll be, he'll be productive, and you can put uh Louis on line with maybe a, a Richards or a Broussard or something like that. Although Broussard has turned into a, into a pretty good playmaker himself, uh, so it might be best to keep them two off the same line. But, uh, you know, look, I, I understand why you want to put them together, and if you had to do it, if you know, you're in a situation where you're down, you know, a goal with 10 minutes to go in a game, it's obviously worth putting your best players on the line. And look, they have enough depth right now, or maybe they can get away with separating it. But I think it really maximizes the strength of the team if they're separate. Well, the Lions have been juggling of late, and you had Nash playing with Stefan pretty much now the entire season. And with Kreider out, um, St. Louis did have a chance there. They even had Carcillo in there for a game. Um, and now Haglund's there. Do you think the combinations that we saw against Vancouver are the best combinations possible? I mean, is, is Hag- does Haglund make the most sense to be playing on the line with the best, you know, best center and the best goal scorer? It's funny, man. Carl Hagelin is the most confusing player I've ever had to deal with because it feels like he's so great, and then he goes on these stretches without scoring goals or, or making plays. Um, I'm not sure what line he fits on, but, I, but I, what I would like is for Carl Hagelin to get on a line, stay there, and be consistently productive. Um, and it bothers me that we haven't seen that yet from him because I think you know just having that speed alone makes him so valuable, and he obviously can shoot the puck. He's, you know, he's not big and, and bulky, so he's not going to be plowing guys over. But uh, to me, he's become one of the most frustrating players to watch because, you know, you feel like he can turn into, I'm not going to compare him to Pavel Bore, but, you know, he has that Bore-like bursting speed. Uh, it's bothered me a little bit that he hasn't been able to solidify a part on the line and be consistently productive. And with the other lines now, with the fourth line, I guess, what we saw with Boyle centering Carcillo and Dorsett, um, you know, th- I guess that's probably as good of a fourth line as you're going to get. It almost say it makes sense to move more up because he sort of seemed a little out of place playing on the fourth line because he has more skill. Um, he at least has more offensive skill uh, than anyone else that could be plugged into the fourth line. And he's obviously a great defensive player too. So bumping him up with Kreider out uh, did make the most sense. Do you like what you're seeing now out of this fourth line, even though it's just one game? Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I've always looked at a fourth line as a line you never really get much offense out of. But, you know, surprisingly, the last couple of uh, games, they, they've provided a lot of offense, um, miraculously. Um, I've always, like, uh, people absolutely killed that Dan Carcillo trade. You know, they gave up a seventh-round pick to the, to, the, to the Kings. You know, I, it's, it's, I don't know if it's a steal. But, I mean, Carcillo's been a, he's been a goon at times. But he's been a relatively productive hockey player once he kind of got out of that, you know, thug act he had going on in Philadelphia. So I thought he was a key acquisition for them to really add some depth to that fourth line. He can score a goal here and there, and he'll drop the gloves. I think he's been a really solid player and a big help on that fourth line. If you have to move him up, I think he can fit in any, uh, on any line if you have to put him there in a spot play. 
And I think that's the thing with Carcillo that people don't realize is while he's you know known for doing crazy things or being the, the crazy type of player where you don't know what he's going to do at any given time, whether it's score a goal, uh, work hard on the forecheck, or, or run someone from behind, we haven't really seen the crazy side of Carcillo yet. He hasn't really been the guy he was when he was on the Kings or the Blackhawks or the Flyers. Yeah, no, I think um, maybe if the Rangers do, and it looks like it, so when, we can maybe say when, when the Rangers get into the playoffs and, and battle the Flyers, and that rivalry mode kind of kicks in. Maybe we'll see a little more of that, you know. But right now, he, he's he's become a, a you know a pretty valuable player and, and almost an asset in a way, you know, with his limited minutes. That you know, I'm not sure you need to see that out of him. You, know, you want to see him mix it up and then scrap it up a little bit when he has to. But it doesn't seem like he's forcing it. He's been pretty productive. It seemed like in the past, whenever you watch Carcillo play, he'd be the guy that would take the untimely, inopportune, stupid penalty um, at a point in the game, you know, where you just couldn't have it, whether it's late in the game or, or right after, you know, a momentum swing. But he hasn't done that with the Rangers. It's been guys like Derek Dorsett and Benoit Pouliot who have been doing that. And it seems to me like, you know, Pouliot, who I know I've had gripes with uh, about for a while, I've told you about him, you know, he has more scoring chances, it seems like, than anyone in the league, and he just can't put the puck in the net. Um, thir- just, I believe now, 13 goals on the season. But it, it seems like it's always him and Dorsett that are the guys that are taking the dumb penalties at the wrong time now. Yeah, I was going to kind of joke about that with Dorsett. That bothers me because, you know, when he, I don't, you know, it just, it, what frustrates me with him is that he is a, a good player. He, he, has, he brings that energy. But you almost got to think about times, what the hell's going on in his head? That he would take that extra slash or that extra hit on somebody to take that, that penalty, you know, at the, at the worst possible time. And he does it too much, and it, it, it's frustrating to watch it. Uh, the Puglia thing, to, look, he's, he's been, for the, the million-dollar contract that he signed, you know, he, he's been a lot more than I anticipated, especially early in the season when, you know, he was a healthy scratch. Um, he's been okay. Uh, yeah, I've been pleasantly surprised. But one thing about this team that, that's kind of interesting, and I, I can't recall it ever being this way, is that their leading score right now has like 57 points. And, and scoring is so spread out over the entire team. They have like 17 players with like double-digit points. You know, so that's, that's kind of something we haven't seen. I like, you know, that goes all the way down to the depth defenseman and stuff like that. You know, but, you know, Benoit Poulier with 13 goals. Uh, you know, uh, it's 15 goals from Stepan, 25 from Nash, 18 from Richards, 17 from Zuccarello, uh, 14 from McDonough. And I'm not looking at a, a book. I, I actually have that memorized because I'm weird. You came um, prepared. No, I, no, I just, you know, I, I like that. I've always been a fan of him. Um, you know, so to have the goal scoring spread out like that, you know, mixed out, I think uh, – I, 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 what is it like? He has like 18 or 19 points from Dominic Moore, so they've really done a good job of spreading it out. So Pouliot, for for his million dollars, and despite some of the dumb penalties and perhaps lack of scoring, you know, less goals than he should have, that's been pretty good. And I don't think you really can complain about what he's brought for a million dollars. The weird thing with Pouliot is, you know, because he was a first round pick, fourth overall pick uh, back in '05. He's going to be given unlimited chances to succeed just of how high he went. And I think the thing is, when I look back to the beginning of the season, when you know I was first getting used to seeing him on a, on a game or a nightly, gamely basis, however you want to say it, and uh, you know, I was sort of frustrated with the annoying penalties he took, um, with the lack of, of putting the puck in the net despite how many scoring chances he got. And I had some friends in Boston who, who cover the Bruins who said, you know, get used to it. That's exactly the guy you're getting. And, and I sort of understand now why he's been with Minnesota and Montreal and Boston and Tampa Bay and now New York, and he's just 27 years old. Yeah, well, look, he obviously has talent. You know, if you're drafted 
I don't care if your career never pans out. At some point in your life, people thought you were talented enough to be picked that high. So you know it's there. Now, I don't think he's ever, you know, he may never score 20 goals, you know, again or ever in the NHL, you know, but he certainly at one point had the ability to do so. And, look, if, if that's what he is, a 15-goal, 20-assist guy and, and a handful of bad penalties, then that's what he is. And, you know, if he's going to, if the range decides that that's okay for him, as long as he signs a contract that's, you know, about a million dollars or maybe $1.5 million and has that limited role, then, then we'll take it. But, you know, if they're going to, you know, think that he's going to be a guy that's going to break out for 35 goals next year, then I think they have another thing coming. The biggest thing now with the Rangers, aside from their winning streak and, and heading to the playoffs, or let's knock on wood, I guess, looking like they're head to the playoffs, is uh, now Ryan McDonough's injury status after the hit received from Alex Burroughs Tuesday night in Vancouver. And I was sort of, I guess I wasn't really surprised to see that you thought it wasn't that big of a deal or that vicious or dirty of a hit. Maybe shouldn't have been given a five-minute major. But the fact that he was given a five-minute major for the high hit, um, the fact that the NHL now doesn't think that disciplinary action is should be taken is sort of mystifying because, you know, McDonough was injured on the hit, and it seems like going back to as many times we've talked about Brendan Shanahan, if a player is injured on a play, it sort of holds more in his decision on what the discipline should be. So I was surprised by the call. I'm even more surprised that he's not going to be suspended. This is a hard one. So I watched the, the hit six or seven times. Just You know, he, he didn't go down with a head injury. He went down with a shoulder injury. You know, I know he got in there caught. But he turned around. They kept saying, you know, this is what bothered me, and maybe I saw it wrong. Maybe I saw the wrong angle. You know, they kept calling it a hit from behind. And he, in my opinion, he was not here from behind. He was kind of hit unexpectedly because he was turning around. You know, and he caught, got caught a little high, and, you know, but he's dealing with what is being diagnosed as a, a shoulder strain injury. You know, there was reports that there's no tears, there's no dislocation, there's no separation. Uh, you know, so it seems to be a strain or a very strong stinger of some kind. Or, um, you know, so that's what, you know, I understand he was hit kind of blindsided. And obviously, he's the Rangers minus the goalie is the most valuable player on the team. So it's devastating if he's going to miss any significant time. But he, he traveled with the team at Denver. So maybe or maybe not, he won't be in the, on the, line, in the lineup when they play. Uh, I just have to take the hit. I mean, look, maybe at the time it warranted a five-minute major, but I think at the review, I, I don't think it was uh, as devastating a hit as it was made to be. And, you know, even the fact he's dealing with possibly a shoulder strain of some kind, I think kind of defines that. And do you think now, because it's Burroughs, uh, it sort of gets the attention more so than it would a different player when it comes to the refs? Obviously, it didn't happen with Shanahan, but because of his past and you know his dirty, vicious, uh, unnecessary hits in the past, maybe the officials you know made the call on the ice because of the name on the jersey. When Shanahan had extra time to look at, he decided you know it wasn't as bad as the refs thought to be. I think I, I think I want to do it, and I think it also has a lot to do with uh, how much time's left in the game and and being with the game. Was tech, I mean. I guess down two goals with 30 seconds, you're not completely out of the game, but, but pretty much the game is over. So it was kind of considered a cheap hit. You know, I mean, I, I'll bet if the game was, you know, two to one and you're eight minutes to go in the game, maybe that, you know, maybe still a penalty, maybe even a double minor for, for roughing, but maybe not a, a, you know, five minutes in whatever the game of tongue, whatever. Um, I think the fact that it was, you know, just an untimely hit. You know, late in the game, they kind of thought he was running them, so maybe that has something to do with it. Well, I think the thing that's always the most frustrating with the Rangers is that when they're going well, you know, you think they, that anything's possible. When they're going badly, it seems like they'll never win again, and that's been the case again this year with this team. And right now, they're one of those streaks where it feels like 
they could easily get past the Flyers. It feels like they could contend with the Bruins and the Penguins. Are you that high on the Rangers? Like, Do you think that they have a chance to, to make a serious run here, make an extended run? Do you think they can compete with Boston and Pittsburgh if they got to that point in the playoffs? I 100% think they can compete with uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, the Bruins are, are very scary right now. I don't know who can compete with them. Uh, they've just become such a dominating force. Uh, Goldie Rask is playing you know, on another level. And I, I thought even he could play at. Um, you know, Bergeron is potentially the best all-around player in the league. You know, they, they just have so many weapons. They're so well coached. You know, they're physical. Uh, they're, they're just not sure. Not just the Rangers. I'm not sure anybody stops them. I don't care if it's the, it's the Blues, the Sharks, the Ducks, the, the Blackhawks. You know, they're just such a force to be reckoned with. I, I don't know if anybody could beat them. They're they're, they're that strong and. Uh, you know, if the Rangers were to battle them in the playoffs, I think it would be a better series than it was last year, you know, when they pretty much steamrolled over the Rangers. I think the Rangers are playing a different brand of hockey. I'm not sure the Rangers can physically compete with them. I think they can compete with them uh, defensively. I think the goalies are even, if not, you know, possibly a little favor towards the Rangers, uh, just the experience, uh, you know, with, with Lundqvist being, you know, as seasoned as he is. You know, I think the Rangers will have to find ways to score some early goals against them, and I'm not sure that's possible. I mean, the Bruins are beating teams... You know, by two or four goals every night, it's just unbelievable. They're playing uh, at such a high level. People are going to laugh at me, and I don't want to kind of overstate it, but, I mean, to me, if they go on and win the Cup, you know, they're going to have to be looked at seriously in a couple of years as one of the, you know, better, this being one of the better teams, you know, in the top ten teams in NHL history. I mean, they're just such a strong team in every asset. It's just pretty wild that, that it's kind of worked out this way. It seems funny how you mentioned that they keep winning games by two goals, as if you know something about that. <laughs> well, I just, you know, I, like I said, I'm a stats guy. So. <laughs> nothing to do with those minus one and a half lines they put out. No, no, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> All right, Mods, well, we got... Not like, not, like, not like the Yankees minus one and a half tonight. So. <laughs> All right, Mods, well, we got 10 days left in the uh, in the Rangers season, five games over the 10 days. They got Colorado, Ottawa, Carolina, Buffalo, and Montreal. And then it looks like we're destined, or it looks like the Rangers-Flyers first round is inevitable at this point. So the next time we'll talk, we'll uh, start getting ready for Rangers-Flyers, which I think is the most intriguing first round playoff series the Rangers have had in quite some time. And, uh, you know, I, I think that people are getting sick of the Rangers Capitals at this point. And, you know, this Rangers-Flyers element it will bring with the proximity of the two cities, I think it will be, uh, you know, pretty much unlike anything we've seen between uh, anyone other than Rangers-Devils in recent years. Well, I'll cross my fingers and hope that we're not guaranteed seven-game series every series. Because yeah. that's, uh, that seems to be the Rangers' uh, MO the last couple of years. It doesn't matter if they're playing Ottawa, Washington, New Jersey. Uh, well, I guess not New Jersey, but every other, you know, you're going to Game 7, whether you're a 1 seed or whether you're an 8 seed. All right, Monzo, thanks again, and uh, I look forward to talking to you right before the playoffs start. Uh, dude, I'm as excited as I am.